Introducing Brian Breaker, the biggest icon in wrestling. Daniel Ross. This is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. What is going on? What are you doing? We will not go quietly into the night. Hang on! Houston, you have a problem. Boom shakalaka! I'm sweating like a pig here. It's a long time. Mr. Phoenix! Eat the pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again for the Saturday morning Rumble Wheel, your weekly dose of nostalgia. It is episode 17 this week. Uh, my name is Brian Breaker. Joining me as always on this uh, weekly dose of nostalgia is my good friend Daniel Cross. Daniel, are you ready for some Saturday morning nostalgia? I am ready for my weekly dose of nostalgia. And as we always say on the Saturday morning Rumble Wheel, pants are encouraged, but they are optional. And I've gone with uh, no pants today. Oh, perfect. Again, I'm glad, glad this is not a video <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, this week, uh, well, last week, we got, we got to touch on last week. Last week, if you have not heard, we did, we discussed backstage stories, uh, like our own personal backstage stories. I think most people will enjoy that if you have not heard it yet. We tell tales of dark matches and SmackDown matches and really weird interactions backstage with some of the different uh, uh performers of the wwe so definitely worth checking out probably one of will be one of the uh, more favorite episodes that we put out so far i'll keep it brief on this one just as kind of a recap of last week uh my first interaction at wwe harley asked if i want to go to smackdown with him mm-hmm. i said absolutely you know i'm 18 19 years old right got you, yeah. to sh- yeah i got to shake hands with vince mcmahon it was unbelievable but as we're going down this little elevator, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, oh, my goodness, like, I've never even been to a WWE show. I just never had growing up. I'm like, this door is going to open. I'm totally marking out. I'm like, I'm probably going to see, like, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, or, you know, whatever. So the door opens up, just like I thought, and the first person I met was John Heidenreich. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And he looked at us, and then he just kept walking. He didn't even say hi to Harley. I want to say, just by his look, he didn't even know who Harley was. Probably not, yeah. <laughs> wow. Talk about a blast from the past. I actually saw someone on Facebook was selling some old, like, Ruthless Aggression figures, and they had the John Heidenreich when he was, like, part of the Road Warriors with, like, the face paint and stuff, and I'm like, wow. That's insane. Ugh. Yeah, what a terrible time. Boy, that was, that was a great, great, crop of, great crop of guys that got out of California. Ugh. Heidenreich, Schnitzky, Chris Masters, <laughs> John Cena. I know it worked out for John Cena, but he was pretty awful for a long time. Yeah. Oh, man. Heidenreich. Wow. He was like one of those guys they kept trying with him. It's like they were determined to make that guy. A I know. Star. And Nathan Jones, he came out of that school, I think, yeah. or at least trained there for a little bit. He Ugh. was pretty bad. He was awful. Yeah. Not good. Didn't Nathan Jones, though, like Nathan Jones had the coolest uh, vignettes. I always oh, loved his yeah. vignettes before he, before he actually, you know, found out that he was awful. Oh yeah. Well, I, again, that was like he had a good story. You know, the guy was in prison, yeah. right? So it made sense to try to make something of the guy, but he just didn't have it. Yeah, man, I love those. Go back. That's my plug of the week. Early. Go back and watch Nathan Jones vignettes. It was just cool. They had like it was almost like a horror movie where it was like. They had this news reporter, you know, Nate, and of course it's Australia, so like, 
Nathan Jones was arrested for armed robbery and, you know, and they're playing all this stuff and then they never show his face. And mm-hmm. he's like, he was the world's strongest man. And I don't know what, whatever else well, he and, did. But. And occasionally you might see his eyes or something, but you didn't, he was, there was so much uh-huh. mystique, but honestly, vignettes were are kind of to me a lost art because that really, it made someone a bona fide star before they, they had even done anything. Like, I know. I, I, I remember in 98, them uh, going crazy. That's the first time I met. So I kind of saw them doing a lot of vignettes. They had vignettes for Edge, you know, as he was getting ready to come in. Val Venus got mm-hmm. some as he was coming in. Yep. I remember, I don't know, that's when the first time I remember a lot of those vignettes kind of previewing a, a future star. Well, the first one I remember was Scott Ray, Hall. Ray obviously had some. Yeah, yeah, he had some. But yeah, you're right, though. But it, it did. It gave someone almost instant credibility most of the time. But uh, this week we're discussing the 1991 Royal Rumble. Uh, this one holds a lot of sentimental value to me simply because this is one of the few VHS tapes my local video store had. So oh. I rented the 1991 Royal Rumble many, many times. Um, so do you have you watched this event? Do you remember this event? What are your thoughts? Well, I have not, but I feel like the first thing you have to talk about is that iconic poster. Yes. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? That has been used in so many different ways and redone, and the WWE has, like, redone that poster with different guys three or four times. Uh, I, don't know who, I don't know who did that. I don't know who did the artwork for that, but uh, hopefully he got some pretty good royalties out of it. Oh, it's it's one of the best ones. They, they redid it for 1992 even, but it wasn't as good. But, yeah, that first one. And what was cool about it is because it was um, – the guys weren't wearing like their typical gear, right? Like Hogan had like a cut off jacket and warrior had like green pants and like a leather vest. So it was, I don't know. It was just really cool to see that. And you got a custom of that made, didn't you? Of Hogan. I've got a custom of that Hogan and that macho man. And that warrior will probably be coming soon at some point. But yeah, I've got the Hogan and macho man from that for sure. Yeah. Cause I remember you showed me uh art of Jason Wolf. Yeah, uh, he, you know, you showed me that. And I'm like, when did Hogan ever wear that? He's like, oh, that was on the '91 Rumble poster. I'm like, oh yeah, and I, I had never noticed in the painting or the picture, but he does have like an H on his coat, like a Letterman jacket. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've never or two H's, I guess. I've never noticed that until until I actually saw your custom. But yeah, it's it's definitely a fun one, and I think with with uh, with that look for those guys, it kind of gives a totally different vibe for him, which I think is really fun. So, yeah, it was definitely a fun one to to get made. And Jason obviously knocked it out of the park like he always does. Yep. So the 91 Royal Rumble, to kind of give a little bit of facts on this, like you mentioned, the poster is obviously amazing. It took place January the 19th, 1991 in Miami, Florida at the Miami Arena. Attendance was approximately 16,000. Uh, with the tagline, friend versus friend, foe versus foe, it's every man for himself. Uh, the commentators for the evening were Gorilla Monsoon and, oddly enough, Rowdy Roddy Piper, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> so 16,000 people. So that means, what, there's about 450 people there? <laughs> Wrestler <laughs> math right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, of course, it, it the the main event is the Royal Rumble match itself. But this was also, um, I believe, one of the first times the WWF title was defended separately. Because up until this point, the WWF champion was always in the Royal Rumble. So this is kind of the first time that they did... A separate okay. title match, and 
the winner of the Royal Rumble, which we'll get into in a little bit, actually did wrestle the WWF champion at the Royal at WrestleMania, but that was not like a pre-match stipulation. I don't think that took place till 1993. So okay, but definitely There's some good facts for you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we start the night off with the dark match that they're still talking about in Miami: Jerry Sags <laughs> and the Nasty Boys versus Sam Houston. <laughs> there you go, Sam Houston. Good for him. Yeah, I don't even think he was under a deal anymore, but I guess he was just being utilized. Like, hey, let's see if this guy's worth anything anymore. And I never saw him again. So, I, in fact, the only time I ever remember seeing him was in, like, the WrestleMania Four Battle Royal a few years before this. Am I totally wrong, but isn't Sam Houston, is that Jake Roberts' brother? That is correct. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so, any any memories on Jerry Sags or Sam Houston? No, not really. I like the Nasty Boys. Um, I have no memories of Sam Houston. I don't know that I've ever even seen one of his matches. Um, but yeah, Nasty Boys were fun. I would always go and do the pit stop on my brother. <laughs> they always had really <laughs> or, good... Or whatever they called it, I don't remember. Pity City. Yeah, yeah. They always had really good theme music, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought their uh, Hasbros, I thought that was, that was one of my more favorite... Uh, Hasbro figures, they looked really good. They did. Like, I think those even hold up today as far as the, the sculpts on the faces and all that. Oh, for sure. And they had, like, the splatter paint on the shirts and on the glasses. They were amazing. Really, really fun set. Um, the first official match of the evening starts off a tag team match. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, known as the Rockers, against the Orient Express, Kato and Tanaka, uh, with Mr. Fuji. Uh, this match went about. Shawn Michaels did he uh, did he ever go on to do anything after this? He did a couple of things, but then he kind of faded off into <laughs> mediocrity. I think. Uh, this match went 19 minutes 50, uh, 15 seconds. Besides the Rumble, the longest match of the evening. Um, ah. So let's start with the Orient Express. I've got a great Pat Tanaka story, but other than that, okay. do you have a lot of memories of the Orient Express? Zero. So Kato, Kato was played by Paul Diamond, who was kind of a utility wrestler at this point. In fact, Paul Diamond actually went on to be Max Moon about a year or two later. Okay. I never knew that was him. Yeah. Because um, it was uh, Kyo Sato, and then he, I guess, left the company, and then they still wanted to keep the team. And so they uh, put Paul Diamond in there with Pat Tanaka, who I guess were actually bad company in the AWA at one point. Okay. Uh, but my Pat Tanaka story. So a good friend of mine named Sam Udell, he, uh, I was in NXT with him. He was kind of somewhat trained by Pat Tanaka, which is pretty funny to think about, you know. Not that uh-huh. Pat Tanaka was a bad worker or anything. It's just like, wow, you were trained by Pat Tanaka. Interesting. <laughs> but he said he was at an indie show. He's very new to the business. And they were like, hey, just uh, stick around Pat Tanaka if he needs anything. You know, kind of the thing of like babysit the legend. Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, okay. And so he goes up to him. He's like, hey, my name's Sam. He's like, oh, Sam, I'm Pat Tanaka. Nice to meet you. (laughs) And he's like, can I get you anything? He goes, I would love a Diet Pepsi, but it can't be a Diet Coke because I'm allergic. And he's like, okay. Okay. And he goes, and I don't like water. The only thing I drink is Diet Pepsi. And he's like, all right. (laughs) He's like, so I go to the concession stand and uh, they have only Diet Coke. And he's like, oh. he's like, is there like a convenience store around here? Like, oh, there's a convenience store like half a mile down the road. So not having a car, being green, Sam walks to the convenience store, buys a, you know, like probably a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Pepsi, 
and brings it back to Pat. He gulps it all down. He's like, can I have another one, please? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, my God. And so he's like, I'm not walking another freaking mile to get this guy a soda. So he said, I just went up and filled it with Diet Coke. And and he's like, he never noticed it wasn't sealed. And he just drank it all night. And he's like, oh, that's good, Diet Pepsi. <laughs> Hope you didn't die later. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, I don't. He's like, I don't think you could be allergic to Diet Coke, but okay. And so I thought that was just a hilarious story of classic legends being weirdos. So the Orient Express was kind of to me like this utility team that was designed to put over like your your stars and um, the Rockers. Man, they were huge in the the early '90s. Of course, by Survivor Series of the same year, they would actually split up. Or that was the, the beginning of their split up. And then 92, Sean officially became a single star. But I love the Rockers as a kid. What were your thoughts of uh, the Rockers as a tag team? Oh, yeah. I always liked them. I, uh, you know, they're kind of the ones probably at that point I was, yeah, well, in 91, I was six or seven. But as I kind of saw their matches when I was eight, nine, or 10, you know, they were definitely ones I'm like, oh, man, they dress so cool. I'm going to dress like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were definitely. They were uh, definitely in the 80s, you know, oh, yeah. their uh, gear and everything else. But they were cool for their time. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and I enjoyed the uh, the Rockers reunion in 2005 or whenever that was. I love that they both missed the nip-up. That was fantastic. <laughs> but definitely fun. So the Rockers, of course, win this match um, after 19 minutes, 15 seconds, which is a pretty long match for a pay-per-view back in the 90s. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you go back and watch this match, it holds up. It's a good one. So I, I, this is probably the match of the night for the show. So besides the Royal Rumble itself, but yeah, the Rockers win after 19 minutes. Up next, we had uh, the Big Boss Man versus the Barbarian with Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is also a relatively long match, going 14 minutes 15 seconds. Uh, the Big Boss Man, he's classic babyface here in his prison guard. Get up! The Barbarians wearing the fur with the antlers. And this is all um, because the big boss man was tired of being insulted by Bobby Heenan because Bobby Heenan kept insulting the boss man's mother. And so boss man's okay. going through all the Heenan family guys until he ends up getting to Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 7. So uh, thoughts on uh, the Barbarian? What do you remember from those days? Well, you know, the big boss man will make you walk the line. You better watch out, boy, or you'll be serving hard time. And I think uh, the Barbarian was serving some hard time here. Oh, definitely he was. Uh, I was a huge Big Boss Man fan in this area, in this era. Yeah, he was always fun. So I, I uh, this would have been around this time, maybe. So the steroid, I think I told this at, at another point in time at a podcast, but so I heard the Big Boss Man, the reason he went to WCW around the early 90s or mid-90s, was because they were getting ready, uh, the verdict was getting ready to come down on Vince McMahon for the steroid trial. <clears throat> so he must have, this big boss man must have had been a little peculiar, but he wanted to get out of the WWF because he felt that it's like if Vince McMahon is found guilty, it's going to ruin his gimmick as a cop because he was right there and he should have caught Vince McMahon, you know, doing oh, wow. all these, you know, what a weird horrible process. You know? I know. <laughs> So he went to WCW and became whatever, all those uh, Guardian Angel or Ray Trailer, all those different things he did. But Yeah, he did, a, he did a slew of gimmicks. Remember, he was initially just the boss when he had an all-black uh, and then he became the Guardian Angel, and then uh, Big Bubba Rogers again, and then just yep. Ray Trailer. 
terrible run in all in all seriousness. Yes, I guess that was his whole reasoning uh, for leaving. He afraid it was going to ruin his gimmick. So, <laughs> so <laughs> and maybe there was more. But maybe there was more to it than that. But at least that was the rumors of things he had said. So I don't know. Kind of strange that he came back as the uh, riot guard. You know, for the corporation sometime later. And dude, I was so taken back by that because he was on TV at least for a week or two with a mask on. With a mask on, and I never even—I just thought he was some kind of faceless person because yeah. he had lost a little bit of weight. He had lost probably thirty, forty pounds since I had seen him on WCW. Right. And uh, he was wearing all black, but he was still twirling the nightstick, so that should have been like a dead giveaway. Yeah, but at that at that era, like we didn't we didn't know anything, so it was easy to not know. Yeah, so like, and then one day he just takes off his mask, and it's a big boss man. I'm like, of course it was the big boss man. Who else would it have been? Right. But it was like, oh, so felt so bad. Like, how did I not know that that was the big boss man? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, big boss man's always been a favorite of mine. Love that era of the, you know, the blue shirt, the nightstick, the pants, the whole deal. Bobby Heenan's always been a favorite. Uh, the barbarian. We have yet to get a barbarian with the uh, with the fur and the antlers as a figure. Isn't that kind of crazy? That is. I never really thought about that, but. Yeah, because yeah, he's a he's a good one. Yeah, because he would have been good in the Hasbro era. We never got that. I don't even think we got a classic superstars with the full get up. Like I think they did one, but it was like pretty lame. And uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like that that version of the Barbarian would have been perfect in that era. Yep, and uh, of course his partner. Well, he wasn't here, but Haku. I know. I, I hear Barbarian. I always think of Haku. Yeah. Um. Our next match was actually for the WWF title. Um, the Ultimate Warrior defended against Sergeant Slaughter with General Adnan. This match went about 12 minutes, 47 seconds, which is a pretty long Warrior match in all seriousness. <laughs> right. Uh, this, uh, Of course, there's a little bit of a setup here. Earlier in the night, Sensational Sherry did a promo asking if Ultimate Warrior would grant a title match to the Macho King. If he won tonight, Warrior shook and went, no, and Sherry screams, and yeah, it was quite the event there, but so that led to Macho King kind of getting involved in this match and costing Warrior the title by breaking his scepter over the top of his head, which was actually kind of a cool thing to see, like he just like shattered it on top of his head. And in which Warrior cut the promo about how one of the gems got stuck in his scalp and he told him to sew it in. Oh, I remember that one. <laughs> Very weird promo, but it, it fit for the time, you know. <laughs> and, and what's crazy is like, and this is kind of why I miss the 90s era of wrestling, Macho Man's walk, watching backstage with Sean Mooney. You know why, why uh-huh. Warrior and Sherry are on that little stage kind of out in the arena. And... And, uh, like, Macho's all pacing around, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, doing his thing. And then he says no, and he's like, he said no, and he starts throwing chairs, pointing his finger, he said no. <laughs> like, he's just going <laughs> insane. It was so, I mean, it's classic Macho, man. But it's like, man, that's what made this era fun. It was just so ridiculous. Have you ever heard, I don't know much about it, what was the thought process of putting the belt back on Sergeant, well, putting the belt on Sergeant Slaughter for the first time? But at this point in Sergeant Slaughter's career, what was the point of him being the champion? Oh, I going I in? it was because of the Iraqi War to make him the top just, villain. 
Okay. That well, because it just, it just seemed like the maybe the Warrior and Hogan Part Two would have been a better match for WrestleMania Seven. I don't know. This whole era is all built upon Desert Storm. So like Hogan even cut yep. a promo before the Royal Rumble about how, like, you know. Just like Saddam Hussein's power in Kuwait, it's only temporary. <laughs> like, that was, like, straight up his promo. So they were very, like, all about red, white, and blue. Like, if you remember that WrestleMania 7, that there was a whole red, white, and blue theme. Yep. So the idea was to make Sergeant Slaughter the ultimate heel and, you know, America prevails. So have you heard both sides of the story as to why they moved WrestleMania 7 to a smaller venue? I heard they – Sergeant Slaughter claims it was not safe for him. But then yeah. I also heard ticket sales were poor, which is probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the story was it was an outdoor venue for WrestleMania 7 eventually – or uh, originally. And Sergeant Slaughter said it couldn't provide the security that, you know, he needed because they were getting – death threats and bomb threats and, you know, all this other stuff mm -hmm. <coughs> for the character he was playing. But uh, then I heard years later, no, it was actually because ticket sales were terrible <laughs> and they couldn't fill the arena. Yeah, that's probably more accurate as to what happened. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts. But, yeah, Sergeant Slaughter winning the title here, like, I'll be honest, I wasn't even familiar with Sergeant Slaughter because he was pretty much gone by the time I started watching wrestling. I didn't associate him with G.I. Joe or any of that stuff. Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I'm glad he got that reign, you know, that, that one win, but yeah. uh, it was kind of an odd choice, and I think you're right, it was all based around the war at that time, but uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, this, it just reminded me, um, I don't know if you've ever thought, I didn't really put this together until like a couple of weeks ago, but I think the original plan for WrestleMania 14 was supposed to, had, had not the screw job happened and all that was supposed to be Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Part 2. And uh, this is when Stone Cold was, because if you remember, Bret Hart and Austin had this huge rivalry, and mm -hmm. he uh, Bret Hart won in 90, the 96 Survivor Series, and then he won at WrestleMania 13. So this was going to be kind of their third match at WrestleMania 14. And I think that would have been just a tremendous story, like Bret Hart versus Austin Part 3. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Austin goes over, he finally gets the... The win over Bret Hart, he gets the WWF championship, and then we're off to the Attitude Era. Um, I think it would have been a you know better story than Shawn Michaels and you know at that point in time in, in his life and career. But uh, you know things didn't work out that way. They did not. It's kind of weird to think like uh, if you if you go back and watch the Attitude Era, it's kind of weird to think like where would Bret Hart have even fit in here? You know, like if you're going to book King of the Ring 1998, where do you put Bret Hart? Like it's yeah. kind of it's kind of weird to think because he was such a, a big part of that show, but even like Shawn Michaels wasn't there too much longer. You know, obviously after WrestleMania he was done. So it's like, but it's like they weren't really missed. Like that that card was so because like the Rock's coming up and yep. Kane and Taker are doing their thing. Mankind's a big deal. Triple H, Triple H is coming up. DX was huge. So it's like none of those guys were even really missed, which is kind of crazy to think. Yeah, I mean, if you still had Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at the top of the card along with Stone Cold, would The Rock have even gotten a shot at the main event, you know, in 1998? That's true. Or would they have, I don't know, you know, because by Survivor Series 98, that's when The Rock won. Yep. Or would Mankind, would he have been pushed to the main event level, or would he kind of just been a a mid-carder, probably feuding, still feuding with The Rock, but, you know, not over the uh, not over the title. Yeah. 
it really it really is crazy to think. Yeah. Um, So our next match here is kind of a weird singles match. Uh, The Mountie with Jimmy Hart goes up against Coco Beware. This match went nine minutes twelve seconds. uh, With the Mountie getting the win. Um, To me, this is filler one hundred percent. But thoughts on the Mountie? Do you remember the Mountie? Yeah, I do. He always gets his man. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It just always, uh, just one of those weird characters that, that, uh, WWF came up with was never, probably was never going to amount to much, which really you could say the same thing for the big boss man. Yeah. But you know, the big boss man did his so well, like it just, it worked for him, but not so much the Mountie. It's one of those things that's kind of funny because you kind of get to see where some guys, it works for some, it does not. And like a Canadian, I didn't even know what a, that there was a Mountie or like a Canadian police officer was a Mountie. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I just thought he used a cattle prod. I didn't know, but definitely I when he used that, well, I always called it the shock stick. When he used that, like on the, on the jobbers, I was like, I always just got me. I was like, Oh man, that is insane. Like, yeah. He's shocking them, you know, but <laughs> I, I think Coco beware was kind of the, your perennial baby face in this era. Um, Kind of hard not to be excited when Coco Beware did his entrance, though, with the bird and the parrot, you know, the whole deal. Yeah, WWF loved their animals back then. Yes, they did. <laughs> Coco Beware with that, the snake, uh, what else? The Bulldogs had a dog. Can't remember what else they had, but it seems like there were always animals on the show. Steamboat had a Komodo dragon a couple times. Yep, there was that. And then um, your last match before the Royal Rumble... A tag team attraction. This is a really fun one, actually. Kind of gets overlooked. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Virgil against Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. Um, this was like one of Dustin Rhodes' only WWF matches because I think Dusty, actually, this was like one of his last nights in the WWF before he went back to WCW. Uh-huh. And uh, Dustin pretty quickly went with him. But this was the night where... Virgil finally turned on Ted DiBiase as well. So they get the win. I think, if I remember right, it's only about a 10-minute match. It goes 9.57. DiBiase wins with a roll-up on Dusty. And then afterwards, he's telling Virgil, hey, you know, put my belt around my waist. And this whole, like, for months, he's kind of been demeaning him. And Piper's mm-hmm. kind of been like, Virgil, you got to you gotta stand on your own two feet. You got to be your own man, that whole deal. And and. DBS keeps saying, well, everyone's got a price, even Virgil. And he starts saying stuff like, who's going to pay your bills? Who's going to take care of your mother, your sick mother at home? Who's going to do that? Me. So you put my belt around my waist. And Piper, of course, is on commentary. He's like, Virgil, don't take it from him. <laughs> and so <laughs> Virgil uh, grabs a million-dollar belt and just clocks him in the head. Huge pop, and honestly, I felt like that's one of those things where because Virgil had taken so much crap, he'd always been a heel, but like you really felt for him, and you were like really hoping he'd stand up for himself. So when he finally does, it's a huge moment. And obviously, from there, Virgil's career skyrocketed, headlining WrestleMania after WrestleMania. (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Never mind, I was saying somebody else. Yeah, maybe so. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he had all the groundwork to be a huge star. It just didn't really work out for him. Nah, not quite. But, no, that was a good turn. I will say, though. Virgil he, had that had that one big pop in his career. I will say, though, I feel like 
they gave him every opportunity to be a big star. It just never really happened. And I think it was one of those things when they put him on his own. Now he's just another guy, and it's like, okay, you know, but, but you know, he went to WCW. I mean, he had longevity. Honestly, he was he was around for a long time. Oh yeah, doing nothing, but he was making a paycheck more than me and you can say for sure. Oh yeah, no doubt. So uh, DBIC and Virgil win at around 10 minutes. And then we go to our Royal Rumble match. So people don't know the Royal Rumble. A new entrant comes out approximately every two minutes. And uh, we'll go through the order of entry. Uh, So number one was Brett the Hitman Hart. Number two, Dino Bravo. Number three, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Number four, Paul Roma from Power and Glory. Number five, the Texas Tornado, number six, Rick Martell, number seven, Saba Simba. There's a name out of the past. <laughs> the one and only Tony Atlas. Number eight, Bushwhacker Butch. Number nine, Jake the Snake Roberts. Number 10, Hercules from Power and Glory. Number 11, Tito Santana. Number 12, The Undertaker. Number 13, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Number 14, The British Bulldog. Number 15, Smash of Demolition. Number 16, Hawk from the Legion of Doom. Number 17, Shane Douglas, who was kind of a random, like, just... I did not realize he was with the WWF at that point. Very, very briefly. Yeah. Very briefly, but he was in this match. Number 18 was actually, uh, no one came out, but it was supposed to be the Macho King, who uh, they're saying was attacked by the Ultimate Warrior, probably backstage. That's why he didn't show up. Uh, Number 19, Animal of Legion of Doom. Number 20, Crush of Demolition. Number 21, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Number 22, Earthquake. Number 23, Mr. Perfect. Number 24, Hulk Hogan. Number 25, Haku. Number 26, Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Number 27, Bushwhacker Luke. Number 28, Brian Knobs. Number 29, The Warlord. And your final entry, the one and only Tugboat. That's a pretty good lineup of names there. Most of those are Hall of Famers. Yeah, a lot of a lot of pretty popular guys. Uh, the longevity uh, for the match was set by Rick, the model Martell, who lasted uh, fifty-two minutes seventeen seconds. Okay. A lot of the guys actually had pretty long runs in the Rumble. I don't feel like that happens as much anymore. But a lot of these guys, like uh, Bret Hart, went twenty minutes. Valentine went forty-four minutes. Uh, Hercules went 37 minutes. Tornado went 24 minutes. British Bulldog lasted 36 minutes. Um, Earthquake was actually in there 24 minutes. Hulk Hogan, who won it, was in 21 minutes. A lot of guys had a long time in the Rumble. I feel like they're like almost in and out nowadays. Yeah, I always uh, <clears throat> unless they're telling a really good story like they did with Brock Lesnar where he was throwing guys out one by one, uh, usually I like it to see the ring fill up with guys and then slowly kind of weed them out you know, little by little, and then it fills back up again. I always think that's a pretty good way to do the rumble. I always think it's cool if you have one guy that kind of Ironmans it, and I, I don't feel like they've had that in a long time. Where it's like, what? I mean, I, they did this year because Walter or Gunther. Whatever, oh yeah, he was in the whole time. But usually, like, there's never a guy that Ironmans the whole thing. It's always kind of fun to see a guy that's in there for like forty minutes, you know, and then eventually loses. It's like ah, dang. Especially if he's a heel, it's like ah, you lost, ha ha. Like Martel yeah. in this when he got thrown out, it was a huge pop because he had been in there so long. Yeah, so yeah, it was kind of the same way when going back to Brock Lesnar, he finally got eliminated by uh, Drew McIntyre. The whole crowd, you know, blew up when when that finally happened. Yeah, of course, that one, was uh, several years later. Yeah the the Royal Rumble is definitely. 
a fun event. I, I still watch it every year, but I don't feel like it, it really lives up to how it used to be back in the day, which is kind of crazy. But, but back in this era, man, this was the most fun match. Oh, yeah. And I think it came, was it Hogan and Earthquake? Did it come down to yes. the final two? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, uh, of course, Hogan, you know, hulks up, body slams him, and eventually throws him over the top. So, you know, it, it ended exactly like you would expect it to end. And then, of course, that leads on to uh, WrestleMania Seven, And uh, Hogan and Slaughter had their uh, epic showdown, as it were. So you said 93 is when the winner got the shot at WrestleMania. That's when they that's started when, doing that? That's when it was first done, and that was won that year by Yokozuna and probably one of the weirdest okay. Royal Rumble finishes of all time. Do you remember that one by chance? Oh, yeah, where he uh, Macho Man goes for the cover. Yeah, and, and and Yoko just throws him out. It's like, oh, jeez. Like, that could have been stunned so much better, but, like, yeah, just terrible. Like I would yeah, have rather, I would have rather Macho like try to struggle to pick him up and Yoko like monkey flip him over like that would have been fine but yeah just you know hey I'm gonna go for a cover what are you like is even Monsoon's like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> and he throws him out it's like well that was stupid yeah I, you ever catch him where sometimes uh, guys will knock a guy down and they'll go for a cover in the Rumble match oh, or yeah. a Battle Royal or something like that it's oh, always. Yeah. And then they, they catch themselves usually when they're halfway kneeling, and they're like, well, I'm already halfway down. I'll just cover them real quick. I got a, a fun story but, for you. I was at an indie show one time, and this guy was doing a Royal Rumble. Now, did he call it something clever like a Oklahoma Stampede or a Sooner Stampede or something? Oh, no, no, no. Uh-huh. He just called it a Royal Rumble because why wouldn't he? There you go. And uh, so I get there, and he's like, hey, I uh, – he was going over in it, the promoter, which is I didn't care, which is fine. He told me he wanted me to kind of Iron Man it and be in the whole time, and I'm like, okay, that's fine, because you don't really get tired in these, right? Yeah, you're just you're just punching and kicking. You're not taking. To me, I always blow up when I'm doing spots and drop downs and leapfrogs and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. And he goes, oh, do you mind booking the match? And I was like, you want me to book the rumble? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I don't even know who these guys are. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my gosh. So I had everyone write their names down so that I knew because he was like, just use everybody, even if it's more than 30. So there's like 42 people or something. So I wrote everyone's name down, and then I just started putting them in place. And basically I had a few key people, right? Uh, I put those where I needed them, and then I just started filling in the rest. And then guys are coming up to me, hey, can, can me and him switch numbers? And I was like, I don't care. Like, you're not doing anything anyway. <laughs> like, just sure, fine. I don't give a crap. But it was, yeah, it was a uh, – it was pretty much like horrible to to try to make that happen, and then as you know, when you're doing a match like that, because I was in the entire time, guys would yeah. want to stay in for like way too long, and I'm like, hey, you need to go. No, 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 not yet. And I'm like, yeah, you're going out. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so. It was. Uh, it was. It was ridiculous. And you know, it's one of those things when it's just full of just like trainees and these like job guys. Essentially, it's just not. Yep. It's not an exciting rumble. Probably not. Yeah, they're always a fun, uh, fun to be a part of. So it always kind of stinks when you have to, you know, be eliminated early or, or whatever. But you know, you can't drag the match on too long. Yeah. Well, it a just, good battle royal, depending on the number of people you have, should probably only be about ten minutes. See, that's the thing is, this is to me, this is a way to extend a battle royal to a certain yeah. amount of time. And the problem with it is, it just it becomes. Too much, especially when it's all a bunch of unknown guys. It's not that exciting. So I did do another battle royal where they actually had it all booked out and ready, and they had a screen, 
and so they um, they actually put on the screen like your name. So people, if you they didn't know you, they saw your name, and that way there was no arguing, which was probably the better move. That way, it's like right. I was like number like seventeen or something. It's like oh, perfect. Who do you want me eliminated by? This guy? Done. Easy. You know? Uh-huh. And then you just you just do it, and it's no big deal. But, yeah, when they do it this way, it's, it's definitely harder. Cool. But were you ever in any uh, Royal Rumble-type events? Not a Royal. I did a lot of Battle Royals. Never a Rumble that I can remember, anyway. Um, oh, scared. The most scared I ever was, though, happened in a Battle Royal. Oh, really? It came down. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Almost, I thought I almost died. <clears throat> so, uh, Denty Moore, uh, Beer City Bruiser, yep. and Brandon Tatum, uh, it was like, it was, I don't know if it, we were the last three or four in the ring. Anyway, both of those guys, they were a tag team and they were going to eliminate me. So, uh, they hit me or did something and then each one of them on both sides of me were going to throw me over the top rope. Problem was both of them were on both sides of me. <laughs> So I had like no choice and they, and Brandon Tatum, he always got really excited in the ring yeah. and he legitimately was trying to like throw me out instead of just kind of let me take my own fall. But those guys like threw me straight into the air and I basically had to do like a swanton over the top rope. Uh, and I, I thought I was dead. I thought I was going head first into the ground. I don't, but I, I wonder if I was rotate. there. I don't remember that because that was probably still a trainee. Oh, so scary. It was uh, it was a TV taping, um, and I ended up so I ended up fully rotating and I landed flat on my feet. But I mean, I had so much force going from the rotation. I'm surprised I didn't like blow out both of my knees as soon as my my feet hit. Um, but I just both my feet hit and I kind of buckled to my butt and you know. But I was that was the most scared I'd ever been because I thought I was dead for sure. Because there, there wasn't any room for me to go anywhere except straight up and over. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the force they were throwing me and, you know, and like I said, normally if I'm going to go over the top rope face first, I'm going to kind of go off to one side yeah. and kind of do a cartwheel out. But there was just no room for me to do that because they were on both sides of me. So, oh, so scary. Was that the same event? Um, there was a battle royal because I remember being a student for this. I don't remember your swanton of gracefulness necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember Brandon Tatum and Denty Moore were a team, like you said. And they, Tatum was relatively new still. And, like, uh-huh. they were doing a spot where they're holding the baby face. And, you know, Denty's going to clothesline him out. And, of course, that guy ducks and he uh-huh. Brandon out. Do you remember that? And Brandon got caught in the ropes and, like, his back bent backwards, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was, in, that was a different one. That was in Illinois. This was in... I don't remember. This was somewhere in Missouri. It was actually our first TV taping when we were doing that uh, big broadcast in Ozark Channel 98 TV. Oh, what a joke <laughs> that was, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, seen by millions, I'm sure. I actually got a really funny story about that. So as shortly after that kind of imploded, remember there was that guy that was kind of in charge of it. So you feel like this is like the network TV guy. He's like an exec. Uh-huh. He's, big, he's big business. Well, me and Bonsai were at the outlet mall at the lake, and we went into this store called Rue 21, which is like kind of like a T-shirt store, <laughs> similar to like uh-huh. you know maybe a Hot Topic, but not quite as not quite as gothic, or I guess. But he's like yep. the manager of Rue 21. And there like, you go. 
oh, well, that guy's not that big a deal, is he? <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess Ozark uh, Channel 98 at the Ozarks wasn't quite paying the bills, was it? So, yeah, it was kind of no, funny that. It was fun. It's it's fun for the it's more fun for the talent to do TV, mostly because it's like okay, we're gonna build. You know, we have a direction. We're gonna kind of maybe do some storylines. Yeah. We're gonna do promos, which is something we didn't do a lot of yeah. if it was just a normal indie show. So the whole point of the TV, I think it was more fun for us than it was. I mean, nobody was watching it. I mean, it, it probably only reached like fifty people. <laughs> And, uh, you know, who knows how far the broadcast went out. But, uh, I mean, there was probably nobody like, oh, man, I can't wait for Tuesday afternoon when WLW comes on or, you know, whenever whenever they decide to show it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was fun from a talent standpoint just because, you know, he got cameras there. He got, got to do promos. Um, but, yeah, as far as – but, like, you know, yeah, doing big storylines, nobody was following it to that, to that point where it would make sense to try and do that. No, it definitely didn't make sense. But like you said, when I actually debuted, they were still doing that. So it was kind of like, oh, wow, I'm actually debuting on television. You know, like this is a big deal. Yeah. Um, actually, I got a funny story for you. I don't even know if you know this or not. But do you remember the terrible WLW themes that we had to use for that because it was television, oh, yeah. quote unquote? I remember uh-huh. your, your theme specifically was always – it was actually one of the better ones, but it was just a drum. It was like – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt uh, Matt Murphy, he made all those songs on his computer. Oh, did he really? Yeah, and uh I don't he had like uh what do you call it? It's not a is it a Macintosh? A Mac uh whatever it was. He had a pretty high dollar computer for back in the day. And well, yeah, he made he made all those themes. Oh that's I didn't know that. But like I remember uh-huh. there was a uh Keith Walker had one and it sounded like a really like western. It was like <laughs> well, me and Bonsai one night, we were creating all the WLW guys on my like SmackDown versus Raw game yep. on my Xbox. And I was like, you know, this thing, you can put the, you can put music on there and like put custom songs. So I grabbed that CD <laughs> out of the music box. It's like we weren't using it anymore at this point. And I, you know, of course I put it back, uh-huh. but I, I downloaded all those songs. So we created Keith awesome. Walker. We put that music. <laughs> it was so funny because <laughs> it was like such a terrible song. And like seeing this big, massive guy with like a chain on, like, and he's got that terrible Western song. <laughs> So funny. That was a good Yeah, I get, I get why they did it. At the same time, maybe we should have just went with the regular. I mean, who's really going to watch it and then care enough to sue us? Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, come music. on. Yeah, very, very, very funny. But uh, anyway, I think it's probably about time to wrap this episode up. So we'll go ahead and spin the wheel for next week. Um, we still got four topics available. I'll kind of go through those real quick. So we have, no, we have five topics still available. We have TGIF. The Game Boy, Trading Cards, the WWF Brawl for All, and The Sandlot. Are you ready? I am ready. Here we go. All right, I'm happy about this one. We have landed on The Game Boy. Very nice. So uh, I know you actually still have a Game Boy. Is that your childhood Game Boy? It is, yep. Still works uh, when I put batteries in it. I always take the batteries out in case I forget about it and it corrodes in the attic or something. But, no, it's uh, it's in great shape. All the games work. 
I think I might sell it to you one day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I may actually end up picking that up because I'm, I was actually a huge Game Boy fan back in the day and it would be, kind of be, I don't know, like I have like a system that plays them all, but it's not the same as like playing a Game Boy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's something about like playing Super Mario Land and WWF Superstars and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. There's something special about the Game Boy back in the day, man. Yeah, I had a lot of good memories of uh, just taking the Game Boy on road trips and family vacations and sitting in the back of my van and trying to hold the Game Boy up <laughs> as we were driving into the night. You know, the sun was setting, so I was, like, trying to hold hold the Game Boy up to get the last glimmer of light, and then as soon as the sun went down, you can't see anything. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't a, a backlitted uh, screen. The original, the original Game Boy. So once it got dark outside, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't play it unless you turned the light on in the in the vehicle or something. But right, I remember uh, going on a little weekend trip one time, and a bunch of my parents' friends were there. It was in Texas, and so all their sons were there, which were all my friends who I played baseball with, and they all had Game Boys and a collection of probably twenty plus games, which at the time was awesome. like a massive amount, right? Oh yeah! So I was able to play like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, and then they even had WCW the main event for Game Boy, which was not great, but was amazing to see. You know, those were yes. those were fun times, man. I have to look that up. Was it like was it late eighties when that came out? Ninety one. It was probably 91. some reason for some reason ninety one's in my head. Stunning Steve's actually a playable character, oddly enough. Yep, his first the first video game appearance as Steve Austin. Yeah. So uh, pretty fun. I know. Pretty fun. I mean, I, again, it probably doesn't hold up, but again, the whole idea of the Game Boy is probably more fun than it actually was. It just at the time was like, this is amazing. I have to have this. Really, really fun stuff. But uh, it is your turn for a plug of the week. Do you have something you'd like to plug this week? Um, let's see. No. So I'm going to stick with uh, Nathan Jones vignettes. Watch Nathan Jones vignettes on YouTube. They're probably there. Go find them. Enjoy how much fun they are. Uh, and that pretty much wraps up this edition of the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. So make sure to check out our past episodes. We have a pretty good little archive going of about, what, 16 episodes besides this one. So check all those out. Yeah. Uh, check out our social media at the Rumble Wheel. Check out my other podcast, Breaker Remains Power Hour, the TB Toycast. And check out a lot of our podcasting friends as well. And once again, enjoy the nostalgia. Thank you guys for checking out the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel, and we will see you next time.